Um, but the game has changed in that way, so nobody kind of does that anymore. There's still cards every once in a while you'll see it, maybe checkers or chess, but for the most part, everyone kind of gets on their phone. And so I just had this mentality of like, no, it's interacting. The clubhouse is fun when you're all doing stuff together. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's interview series from Phenom to the Farm, where we are talking to former professional baseball players to reminisce about their playing days and what they learned in their journey from amateur ball through the professional ranks. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today, I'm talking to Tim Dillard, most recently a member of the Milwaukee Milkmen, but better known as the former big leaguer with the Brewers, the Nashville Sounds all-time strikeout king, and goofy clubhouse YouTube video content wizard. Tim joined me to talk about a career that is 18 years strong and counting. Tim was a part of the same Brewers draft class as Prince Fielder, and he's still hoping to pitch in 2021. He gets into his experience in junior college as a draft and follow guy, talks about that initial climb up the ladder with the Brewers being a guy who just found a way to adjust, and really gets into what makes a great clubhouse and what makes him such an asset as a clubhouse guy. There's a big reason why Tim has continued to have a AAA job for a majority of this decade, despite not having thrown in the big league since 2012. I think that really comes through in this conversation. I think anyone listening will wish they could spend some time in the clubhouse with Tim Dillard, which you can by subscribing to his YouTube channel. Episodes of this podcast from Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And most importantly, share it with your friends. Also, make sure you subscribe to Baseball America and the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. It is top 10 prospect season. At time of this recording, the Braves top 10 just dropped. The whole AL East is up. It is always a good time to be a BA subscriber. For future guest info of this podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Banduho. But for now, let's talk to Tim Dillard. All right, joining in for today's episode from Phenom to the Farm, he was a 34th round pick of the Brewers in 2002, former big leaguer Tim Dillard. Tim, thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Yeah, former big leaguer. That sounds cool. It does. It does. Had to include it, man. Once you once you make it, you make it forever. Yeah. Uh, Tim, before we get into it, uh, I pulled up your website you know, like a few minutes ago, and I'm just shocked that you have time for your day job with all the uh, all the content you put out. Plug it for the people. Where where can they find you on social media, your podcast, etc.? Sure. If you type in Dim Tillard to to about any social media platform or anything, then something will pop up of mine. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I have Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. I got my own podcast called The Inner Monologue of Dim Tillard. So, and I'm going to be honest with you, I really don't like myself that much, but it's just one of those branding things <laughs> that you do. You put your name on it. <laughs> well, Tim, people like you. That's why you're on this podcast. I am excited to hear your career story, how you are still playing baseball, you know, almost 20 Oof. years after you got drafted. But let's, uh, <laughs> let's take it back to the pre-draft days. Uh, you grew up the son of a former big leaguer. How did that shape your early baseball career? Were you were you a baseball only guy growing up? Uh, no, not really. Um, I got two older brothers, so I just did whatever they did. Right, like if they wanted to play, you know, soccer in the yard, we'd play soccer or basketball or football, baseball, anything. And I don't know. We always gravitated towards baseball because by the time I came along, my dad had retired from playing and was coaching. So my earliest memories are hanging out in the clubhouse. So I always thought, man, this is fun. I could do this. <laughs> is <laughs> you know? there is there pressure growing up as the son of a big leaguer? Like, and did you have any expectation in your mind of I need to be good or was that kind of easy for you? 
No, I, I, I don't, I didn't feel that at all. It was probably stemming from my dad being like, you know, he just wanted us to play sports. Um, and he wanted us to play sports because he wanted us to get to know what it's like to be part of a team, right? Like he didn't know if we were going to go on and play professional baseball or anything else, but he did know that eventually we'd have to work with other people, whether you're in a cubicle or, you know, a, at a restaurant or whatever it is, you got to work with people. So that's where you learn it is, uh, sports as kids. And so he just kind of wanted us to develop those skills. And, uh, but he knew really good instruction on baseball, right? He's coaching, guys that are in professional baseball. So for him to coach kids, it was, I mean, we learned from the best and I don't know, I never really felt any kind of pressure to live up to his name or anything like that. But I did go to the same high school as he, he went to and people would call me Steve's kid. So, <laughs> so when you get into that high school though, and things start, start going well on the diamond, you actually start getting looks, getting, getting pro ball looks. How did you go about weighing your future options in high school? Did you, when you, when you were in high school, did you have, you know, a plan or a desire? Did you want to get drafted right after high school or were you always planning on heading to college? Uh, no, I, I wanted to get drafted. I mean, I love school and, and to the, to the degree I have to go like, right. You got to go to like elementary school and I got a kid in middle school. He's got to go there. Right. Like you got <laughs> The, my uh, fulfill your mandate or whatever it is as a as a citizen, but yeah, can't I be truant. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just I just didn't want to go to college in the sense that I just didn't want to do any more school. I just not that I hate on school, but like it just I don't know. It was it it just seemed like I don't know. It wasn't for me. But I did get drafted after my senior year of high school. But my shoulder was hurt. I had hurt my left shoulder swinging, even though I throw right handed, and so I ended up having to go to college. But anyway, I could have done better, but I kind of just I should. <laughs> Do kids listen to your podcast? Maybe I should say stay in school, you know, uh, but I don't know. It's just some people are built for it and it's easy for them. And for me, it was when you had baseball sitting right there, it's like, of course, I got to go baseball. So you get drafted, but you you head to junior college. Mm -hmm. What is what's junior college like as a draft and follow? Do you spend the entire year just thinking about your draft stock or are you able to kind of put that aside and enjoy baseball? Yeah, I don't, you know, this is, we're talking like this is 20 years ago. So it's, it's different than it is now. You know, if you get yeah, drafted no more now, draft and follows. yeah, there's no more draft and follow. Like the whole, the game's changed in so many ways in that regard. But I don't know. I just, I never really felt that was that big of a deal, honestly, because it, you know, someone being found at this tiny high school in the middle of nowhere is, you know, it's like, well, okay, I got drafted, but I'm not playing there. So it doesn't really matter. And uh, I was actually spent most of my freshman year of college just rehabbing my shoulder. I had I went to Birmingham and Dr. Andrews put a stitch in my labrum orthoscopically. It's the first time he had done that because he didn't have updated MRIs and I had completely torn my labrum and he didn't know that. He thought it was only a partial tear. So he said if he would have known that, he would have sliced me open big time. But he said because they were already in there and realized it was torn and they were able to put a stitch in it orthoscopically. Uh, which could probably help with the healing process. But he said, again, he'd never done that before. It was the first time he'd ever done it. So I was his guinea pig. <laughs> well, it seemed to it seemed to work out, but uh, you were catching and pitching in junior college, correct? Yeah. So I was, uh, I mean, like I said, I was rehabbing my first year for the most part. I didn't really, I, I played a little bit, but not much. Um, and then I still got drafted again for whatever reason. The Brewers just called me out of the blue. I, would, I didn't even watch the draft uh, my, uh, in 2002. And I got a call from uh hank aaron's son i can't remember his name off the top of my head but he's a scout and maybe larry aaron and uh anyway he called me up at my parents house and said is, this, is tim there and i was like this is tim he's like hey you know i'm with the brewers we just drafted you as a catcher in the 34th round wanted to let you know i was like oh cool he's like all right have a good day and then that was it <laughs> 
<laughs> and, so uh, what is the ensuing <laughs> year like? And did you think that you were going to be a catcher in pro ball? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was always a catcher. Always, always. Pitcher, I only started pitching my junior year of high school. Not only did that because I felt like I, I really wanted to win, and I'd caught all the pitchers that were trying out in high school that year. And I just thought, man, I, we're, you know, we, have, we lost all our pitchers the year before. So I was just like, man, we're, we're going to be tough. You know, it's going to be tough for us to win. And so I told my high school coach, like, hey, let me try to pitch. So we found a kid that could, you know, catch me because I did throw pretty hard. You know, I'd, I actually had done fairly well, um, you know, when I didn't have an arm, you know, as I was a, a young kid before I hit my growth spurt. And so now my skills were well-rounded and I was like, well, okay, let me see if I can pitch. And Anyway, I was throwing heavy sinkers, and there were two scouts that liked me as a pitcher and two scouts that liked me as a catcher. But for me, I, in, my, in my mind, and my plan was, man, got to be a catcher. Get 10 years in the show as a catcher, that's a pretty good gig. So what, then what was the conversation like with the Brewers when they said, we want to sign you and we want you to pitch? Sure. Well, because of the draft and follow, that actually kind of helped because we went to the Junior College World Series, and... Uh, the way the draft and follow works, you know, you, it, it would run out. You, the, the Brewers would lose the rights to me, like, I don't know, a week before the draft, the next draft. So they didn't have a lot of time because we played so long into this, you know, tournament or championship or whatever it is. And um, so as soon as we lost, we had to go find a payphone because that shows you the year <laughs> that it was. And uh, we found a payphone. I called the number of the, of the scout that they had given me. And, um, and said, hey, our season's over. And he's like, okay, I'll be at your house tomorrow night. So they only had one day to sign me. And so basically they were like, listen, we, we think you're way better as a pitcher than a catcher. And I thought, man, I, my, everything I've been working towards was, was for catching. You know, I was really good at it. I, I, that was where my focus was. And pitching was always secondary. And they said, well, we, we think you have a really long career as a pitcher. And I was like, what do they know? But it's been, <laughs> it's been 20 years. So I'm like, yeah, I guess maybe they're right. But anyway, so I'd already signed with Ole Miss because Ole Miss said they would, you know, want me to come there. So I had, I guess what you would say, options, right? Other scouts had seen me play. And so it, there was a little bit of risk of the Brewers allowing me to get away and get back in the draft. And I, I leveraged it as much as I could. So, yeah, the Brewers were finally like, okay, you'll be a pitcher. And I was like, sure. Well, is there, were you worried going out as a pitcher? Were you less confident when you started starting pro ball as a pitcher than you would have been as a catcher? Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I got into, when I got actually to the spring training complex for, um, extended spring training, that's what you do after you sign in the draft. You know, I went out to Arizona. Um, there was a lot of guys that were like, yeah, I'm, I'm a PO. And I didn't even know what that was. I'd never heard that term. And guys, and it refers to pitchers only. I didn't know what that, I was like, are you, what does that mean? So some of these guys have only done pitching. So that's been their entire focus. And that can be good or bad, right? I mean, if you're only focused on one part of the game, you kind of miss everything else. But I'd played all positions. And being a catcher, I felt like gave me an advantage just because I'm calling pitches myself. You know, I don't like the coaches calling my pitches. And I kind of had a feel for the game just growing up in it. So I don't know. I, I, felt, I felt like it gave me an advantage. But at the same time, I just didn't lo – I haven't logged as many innings as other people. So maybe I was – I don't know. Maybe it was a tie. Ty sounds good. So yeah. you, you sign in 2003 after after two years at junior college, when you're rehabbing, when you're you know playing. Between in, in those two years, between the time where you graduated high school, 
in, in those two years getting into Pro Bowl. Is there anything that, because you, you are the first junior college guy that we've had on this pod, is there anything that you can directly attribute to junior colleges? This experience or this two years helped me out in something that I would not have been as good at or as ready for coming out of high school. Sure. Well, I think a lot of people don't know much about it uh, in the construct of baseball players that want to play professionally. So I was getting recruited at a high school by Ole Miss. They wanted me to sign. And I went over for a visit and they were like, oh yeah, you're going to catch, you're going to pitch, you're, you're our man, you know, because they really want in-state guys. I was in Mississippi. They wanted a Mississippi guy on the roster because you should look at a lot of these teams uh, in, you know, these SEC schools or wherever, and they just have the same list all the way down. Florida, 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 you know, California, California, Texas, Texas, Texas. They want in-state guys. So I was like, wow, man, they really want me to come there so they can slap Mississippi on there. And um, anyway, I went back for a second visit and they're like, well, we don't know if you're going to catch or not, but we, you, we think you'll pitch. And I was just like, well, I don't really think that sounds good. <laughs> and then the, I went back for a third visit and uh, coach, uh, what's his name? Mike Bianco. Bianco had only been there a couple years, I think, or maybe that was his first year. I don't know. But he, he sat me in his office and was like, yeah, yeah, we're going we're gonna to redshirt you. We're going to sit you out the first year so you can learn our system. And I was like, learn your system? What does that mean? I was like, did you invent baseball? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a jerk. I was even a bigger jerk when I was younger. But Tim, I was, you shoot from the hip on this yeah, podcast. I shoot. This I, is yeah, your, I was this just is your like, floor. Okay, yeah. I was just like, seriously? I was like, did you invent baseball? And he's like, and he, I mean, you could tell he was a little taken back. Like, there's this, you know, 18-year-old kid talking smack to him or 17. I was probably 17 at the time. And he was just like, well, no. And I was like, well, then I know your system. You know, it's baseball. And, and I'd seen it at the highest levels. You know, so who is this guy thinking that, you know, I got to learn your system. But that's what you don't get. Um, but a lot of kids maybe don't get like, wh- do I want to go and sit out a year and waste an entire year not playing? You don't get better. Not I mean, you can't get better unless you're playing in a game. You, you don't get better sitting around doing nothing, or even just only having practices. You have to learn how to compete. You got to know what that looks like, you know, the game speed and all that. And so I told him, I was like, well, I'm not going to sign here. And he didn't believe me. So I don't know how many weeks later a guy calls me. It's like, hey, you know, you ready to sign with Ole Miss? I was like, no, I'm not signing with Ole Miss. So I signed with this junior college. And I mean, Ole Miss was kind of upset, I think, for a couple years, but they ended up signing me and I didn't go. But anyway, all that to say, a junior college coach was like, hey, we want you to come. We want you to play because that's how you get better. And I said, that sounds great. So I'm going to go there and I'm going to play because it, let's say I go there for one year and do really well. Then you can go into the draft and you can leave. If you go to college for, I mean, you have to stay at least three years. And then if you get redshirted and say you're on the younger side, you're still not 21, which you can leave when you're 21. So there's all these specific things that go into it of the competition, and everything else. So you, you find out that there's a lot of people that want to play in professional baseball that are getting into junior college. You get into junior college, you're going to play, you're going to get better. And if that's what your goal is, is pro ball. I would say the four-year college guys, I mean, not to say they can't play in the big leagues, there's tons of them, but at the same time, you know, that's four years of your life that, you know, that could have been two years that you've been playing in professional baseball. You want to start the clock. If I'd have been healthy in high school, I would have gone right out of high school. Yeah. So, and you still end up starting your clock before you would have, if you had, if you had enrolled at Ole Miss. So your, your first year, they send you out to the Midwest league as a reliever, low a Beloit mm-hmm. as a, as a guy growing up in Mississippi, how much experience did you have playing in the cold? Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty cold when you start playing, you know, you, you practice in January and February, it gets cold. And then like mid February, you start playing games. It's still pretty cold in Mississippi, but 
I don't know. I, the first game in Beloit, I remember it was so cold. It was snowing. And I just felt like my bones were hurting. I was so cold. <laughs> but we had a, a friend of mine on the team, or a guy that I met, Brian Montalbo. He's from Alaska. So he was walking around in like a tank top to the field. So <laughs> I get it. There's a little bit, you know, stuff of a learning curve. But I had traveled through the Midwest League before. My dad had coached in that league a couple times. So I'd been to most of these places um, as early as, I don't know, like 1991-ish. So you know, I'd, I'd been around, I'd seen the cold, I'd know what it looks like, but playing in it is a, is a different beast. So your, your second full years in the Florida State League, you have a standout year, you're a starter. Um, I, I want to ask you just because it's kind of topical that there, there's been talk that the Florida State League and the Midwest League might switch with the, the Florida State League becoming low A being that, in theory, easier first step for guys. Is that something that you think uh, you think holds merit, or you think the Midwest League might build a little bit more character? Um, I don't know. I I, I get what they're. I, I mean, I haven't heard that. You're the first time. You know, you saying that's the first time I'd heard this. But I mean, I, I look, the Florida State League is very pitcher friendly in that you know you're playing in bigger parks, things like that. So that's what I benefited from. I'm a ground ball pitcher. I didn't give up a lot of home runs in that league and just got the ball on the ground and had a good defense. And so that allowed me to pitch longer into games. I think I had like 185 innings that year. So that kind of stuff. But when you're looking at the you know, Midwest League, you got smaller parks. You have to learn how to pitch a little bit more. So it's basically, you know, if the, the, the GMs want to get together and try to make this happen with Major League Baseball in charge of it, but... I mean, it depends. You want guys to, you know, when do you want them to learn how to pitch? Like, where do you want that crutch? Because I, you know, I had to grind it out in the Midwest League and then earned a starting role at one of the best places to pitch, did really well, and then got the double A and realized that you still have to evolve. So you're, whatever you're doing, whatever league you're in, you have to adapt to that league and learn how to, how to use it because not all leagues are the same. Well, in 2006, you, you make the double A jump and things are good. You're a, you're a minor league all-star we see MLB All-Star Weekend on TV every year. What is the what's the experience of being a minor league baseball? What is what is Southern League All-Star Weekend like? I mean, I was married. We uh we went to Montgomery and um I don't know, got to I think Joey Votto was on that team. There's a long list of guys that were on that team um in that league at that time. I can't remember everybody's name, but I used to have a deck of cards with everybody on it. But I don't know. I, it was it's very strange. It's the first time I was actually on a all star team where you you know you had that all star break in the middle of the season where you played a game. Uh, but all I could look around and see is all these guys that hit doubles off of me, right? <laughs> like, oh sorry, all the guys I hit you. you didn't like yeah. to see. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey man, sorry I hit you in the foot, you know, or whatever. Um, but yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I think that's the last time I was on a an all star team in the middle of the season you got that one under your belt but at that point you've had you've been the brewers minor league pitch of the year uh, your your first taste in high a double a you're an all-star you know after that year what are your kind of career goals what are the expectations for yourself what's your your big league eta like do you see just the whole world in front of you at that point well i mean i mean i don't know i can't remember exactly how i felt all i know is that in so the way that it used to work is you'd have to wait three years to be protected for your protection year. So I had played low A and high A and then double A. So after this double A season where I did pretty well, and you know I think I had the most innings in the league, something like that. And um, anyway, I you know I was mid season All Star, and I think we ended up going to the playoffs. I remember we went to Montgomery again to play the Biscuits, and we had a bench 
fight. We didn't win the championships, but I think we won that fight. <laughs> Did you get in and, on the action? Yeah, I was doing a chart in the, in the dugout, and I looked down to chart the pitch, and I looked up, and I was the only one in the dugout. I was like, oh, no. So I got out there a little late, which is probably good, because if you're going to tackle somebody, you know, you got to tackle them in the back. Um, but anyway, yeah, so you have to wait three years to be protected. This was my protection year. So I'm sitting around watching the World Series. Bud Selig comes on the TV, and they interviewed him. They just finished up the you know newest collective bargaining agreement. And they asked, like, what are some of the changes? You know, just give us some the cliff notes or whatever. And, and uh, so I'm watching the TV live and Bud, at my parents' house. And Bud Selig was like, yeah. He said, uh, one of the things that we got in there we're really excited about is now players have to wait four years to be protected. And I was like, is that what he, he just say you have to wait four years? I was like, I wonder if that applies to me. And then, like, I don't know, soon after that, my agent called. And because uh, I do have an agent. I, I don't know if he knows that now, but. <laughs> <laughs> you still got his <laughs> but, number. But I, he's, yeah, he, yeah, I got his number. I don't know if it works, but he, uh, yeah, so he called me and said, yeah, that affects you. And it looked like around all of the major league baseball, like in the organizations at lower levels, there was maybe about 90 guys that were, had a chance to be protected. You know, you, you can't protect everybody. If the Brewers had 10 guys to, that could be protected, they're probably only going to protect like two or three. Right. So, you know, the, you don't really know there's probably going to be 30 or 40 guys protected throughout you know all of major league baseball but i could have been one of them we'll never know so i had to wait another year so the next year i go to triple a and i mean it didn't go as well as the other years because that's where you start playing against real men <laughs> you, you get a bunch of guys who have big league time already and that year you you transitioned back into into the bullpen how how did that transition come about was that the brewer's idea was it something that you had asked for um no, I, I still threw over 100 innings that year, 130-something innings, I think. But no, they, they had me pegged as a starter. Um, they actually traded away a guy named Ben Hendrickson uh, like the last day of spring training. And so that was the only reason I got to be in the starting rotation going into going into uh, my first year in AAA. But, you know, if, you, if, you'd, if I'd have been protected, that's it, you know, things change. They're not going to mess with you as much if you're protected because you have a chance. You're on the roster. You have a chance to be called up at any moment. You know, so since I wasn't on the roster, they're kind of like, well, we got to find this guy's niche. And so they put me out there as a starter to see how I do. And, you know, you go from playing against prospects that are your age or younger, and then suddenly you're playing against, I mean, my first game in, um, in big league camp in 2007, one of my first games, I pitched against the A's and I pitched against Mike Piazza. So he was like, you know, I had more cards of him than probably anybody. Well, maybe my dad, but as far as baseball cards, like not my dad, <laughs> probably had that many Mike Piazzas, like 40 Mike Piazza cards. I mean, because he was, you know, the premier catcher. The guy could hit, he could play, he was on great teams. And I'm like, here I am facing him. Um, and he grounded into a double play, thank God. But I don't think he was running very fast. He was like 42 at the time. I, I, I wouldn't have <laughs> I wouldn't have been running that one out. How yeah. how long into Pro Bowl, how many how many years do you have to play? How old do you have to get to not be to not be wowed when a certain guy like that steps in the box? Um, I don't, I mean, it, it, that kind of went away for me in 2006, we were playing in Mississippi against the Mississippi Braves and Chipper Jones was rehabbing and, um, their, the uniforms that they wear are similar to the Braves uniforms, but, um, so Chipper Jones just wore his normal uniform. That's what he brought with him. Of course so I don't, is. yeah. So, so here I am, I'm throwing in the first, or actually he, he, he played the night before Giovanni Gardo struck him out at least once. Um, I can't remember what else he did in the game. So I'm facing him game two. Um, and I mean, he's just standing up there. I'm like, holy crap, this is Chipper Jones, right? I grew up in the South. We, we had WGN and TBS. So we were Cubs fans, right? And Braves fans. Like, that's just what you saw on TV all the time. So 
I'm like, wow, he looks just like he does on TV. And I ended up striking him out, but the next at bat, he almost took my head off. And so where I got starstruck is the next pitch after he almost took my head off, um, I got a ground ball back to me and I caught it and I turned and I looked and I hesitated because I was like, wow, that's Chipper Jones running the second. And, you know, I did, it's almost like I didn't want to hit him, right? Like I didn't, I was like, oh, what if I, what if I hit him? So I kind of stuttered and ended up throwing it in the center field and it cost me a run and probably a couple more innings throwing. So anyway, that's when I was like, screw that. I don't care who's in the box. I don't care who's running the bases. I don't care anymore because it affects you mentally, you know, of what you're trying to do if that bothers you. Well, your second year in AAA, you're in the bullpen exclusively. You're pretty lights out. And then you get the call. Walk me through the, the <laughs> first the first call up. Oof. I mean, it's kind of boring in some regard. Um, not that it wasn't a surprise. Like, you you know, getting called up to the big leagues is incredible on, on every facet. But I was on the younger side. I was 25-ish, and I was throwing – 96 and I had a 90 mile an hour slider. I had a one ERA in AAA and I had been protected after the 2007 season. So, right. Like everything, the, the, everything kind of came together and it wasn't that big of a surprise. It was like more of a win, you know, when am I going to get called up maybe as opposed to, you know, could I? So anyway, yeah, I got called up. Uh, I got the call. Let's see. I'm glad I got a cell phone. I had a cell phone at that time (laughs) and had it very long. So, uh, the coach called me at like seven in the morning he said, uh, you're getting called up. You need to get your stuff at the field. You need to go to the airport. You're flying to D.C. You're going to meet the team. Uh, they're going to play the Nationals. So I was like, oh, sweet. So I said, thanks. So I you know, said, honey, wake up. And she was asleep. And I was like, wake up. And she's like, what? And I was like, I got called up to the big leagues. I'm flying to D.C. And she was just like, oh, that's nice. Like, <laughs> I don't think she was fully awake, but... <laughs> I was like, that's well, nice. I'm going to get some yeah, more sleep. Yeah, that's, yeah. She's like, yeah, that's nice. So, anyway, went to the field, got my stuff, uh, drove to the airport. And we, I mean, you're pretty poor in the minor leagues. You don't make a lot of money. So, we actually had to buy her a plane ticket, but a plane ticket from Nashville to DC on Memorial Day weekend, out of the blue, like buy it at the airport was like $1,000. And I remember thinking, we don't even have $1,000, but we put it on a credit card thinking, well, if I stay in the big leagues at least a day, then we can pay this credit card. <laughs> So, Do you yeah. remember what you were taking home a month at that point? Um, let's see. Your uh, see first year forty man on the roster. I don't know, like two two grand a month, maybe something like that. So I half your expenses on that, half your income on one ticket. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for a, that's a Ooh. month though. But this was in let's see April May. So maybe we had some money, but <laughs> taxes. Let me tell you. But anyway, yeah. So we you know, that's the first time that we actually had, that was like the biggest purchase we ever had <laughs> at that time. And, uh, anyway, yeah, flew to DC and she had to go straight to the, um, hotel because I had to go straight to the field and I was wearing a suit because I thought, okay, well in the big leagues you wear a suit, right? They tell you to wear a suit when you travel and all this stuff. And so I had this suit on, but it's hot. It's like really, really hot. And I'd get in this taxi and he drops me. I said, I'm one of the players. He drops me off on the other side of the stadium. I don't know if he knew I was a visiting guy or what, but he, uh, so I, I had to actually get somehow shimmied my way into the field, into the, the stadium because you, I didn't have any credentials. They were like, who are you? And I'm like, here's my driver's license. Like I don't have a pass or anything. And they finally let me in. So I'm walking through the tunnel and I mean, I'm just sweating through my suit, carrying this big old, you know, bag of all my stuff. And uh, finally got to the clubhouse, you know, tried to, you know, get change as quickly as I could. The clubbies are like, yeah, you're late. I'm like, well, sorry, the plane was late. <laughs> and then I, 
run out on the field, play catch, come right back inside, and then had to get changed for the game and get the candy bag. And finally made it, barely made it for the national anthem, went straight to the bullpen, sat down, watched about five innings, and then the phone rang. So I get up, I get loose, and then all of a sudden they're like, Dillard, you're in. So I run out there and I'm thinking, okay, don't trip because it's in front of 40,000 people, right? Memorial Day weekend, this brand new billion dollar stadium. So I'm like looking at the ground going left, right, left, right. <laughs> and I get to the mound and I don't even remember what happens. Jason Kendall was the catcher. He comes out and I mean, I don't even know what the game was, maybe eight to one or something like that. It wasn't close. And he comes out and he's like, okay, what are your signs? I haven't even talked to him. I haven't even talked to my catcher, right? Because I'd just gotten there. He was in meetings, you know, going over hitters. So I didn't get to see him. And so I said, um, you know, I told him fastball slider change up. He's like, okay. He goes, all right, you know, have some fun. And I said, all right, let's do this. And I, I, it came across, yeah, it came across like kind of stern, like, yeah, let's do this. You know, like I'm pumped. And he kind of looked back at me with a smile, like, like, easy, calm down, dude. You know, like, <laughs> pump the brakes. Jason so Kendall had seen it all at that point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's awesome. He's awesome. So he goes and squats down there, and he's like, I can kind of see him talking through his mask to the umpire, and I'm warming up, and the umpire's looking at him and laughing, and then he's pointing at me, and then they're both laughing. I'm like, it, man. Like, <laughs> but my whole goal was to just make it look like I'd done it before. So I tried to play it cool, you know, got done my warm-up pitches. They took it down. Got on the mound, tried to make sure I didn't work too fast. One of the things you do, each level that you go up in baseball, it just gets a little bit faster. The game of play just gets a little bit faster. So, you know, I, I didn't want it to look like it was too fast for me, where I'm speeding up, where I look like I'm in fast forward. And I also didn't want to look like I was in slow motion. I had to figure out the pace. You know, it's really strange when you get out there. And so I wanted to make sure my pacing was good. And I, you know, maybe got a guy out. I have no idea. I struck out Aaron Boone who uh, is now the manager for the Yankees. So I'm glad to see he landed on his feet after I he struck recovered. him out. Yeah, he recovered. He recovered. <laughs> and then uh, I don't know what the last guy did. I have no idea. And next thing I know, I got off the mound, maybe through 15 pitches or something, and sat in the dugout. And anyway, that was it. And and I, I finally got back. I went back to the hotel after the game. It was like my first breather of the day, right? Started at 7. It's probably around 11 or midnight. Get back to the hotel finally have a breather. And I look through the, like the, the dining room window and I see uh, Kendall, Jason Kendall's waving me in. He's like, Hey, come on, sit down. And uh, he buys me a beer and he just, you know, we're talking about the game or whatever. And he says, you know what? He's like, I just want to let you know that when you went out there, it, it actually looked like you'd been there before. Like you knew what you were doing. He's like, that's, that's what I saw. And I was like, dude, that was like my only goal is to make it look like I'd been there before. That was it. So anyway, that's that was the nice highest story. of compliments from a guy <laughs> yeah, like Jason yeah. Kendall. Yeah. Jason Kendall. Uh, the, so your, your next few years, you go back to Nashville, you, you start in 2009, then you're back in the bullpen, kind of doing a swingman thing. You get some time in Milwaukee. What is the, what are you working on day to day? Is that a frustration, you know, a frustrating situation, just kind of being in that foray shuffle? Well, it, it was, it was strange, right? Like 2008, I finished, I actually was in, uh, I was in Philadelphia with the team, the 2008 team. The Brewers picked up CC Sabathia. We go to the playoffs. I, I wasn't on the playoff roster, but I was a backup. Like in case somebody got hurt, they could activate me, or if they needed my skills for you know the next series or whatever. And so you I was just got cheese. to witness the greatest single oh, yeah. human pitching performance of the past 20 years. I watched. Yeah, I've seen several of those from him. CC's incredible. So yeah, that's what. So I ended the season, you know, in the big leagues, in the bullpen throwing 96 miles an hour and then 90 mile an hour, you know, slider. So like my stuff is good. My craft is there. They've seen what I can do. I stayed healthy all year, all that. 
And then 2009 rolls around, and uh, they, they sent me down. That was the first guy sent down in camp, and they said, we need starters. We want you to go back to starting. I was like, oh, man. I mean, starting's a little bit more prestigious, right? Like if you're a really good starter, that's you know kind of, oh, yeah, you get, this is your game, right? This pretty much dictates what happens as opposed to, well, maybe you can pitch every single day if you're in the bullpen. So they were like, yeah, we want you to go down and be the best starter in AAA and, and, and get back and you'll be a starter in the big leagues. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll do whatever. I'm a Swiss Army knife, man. Like whatever you need, <laughs> you know, toothpick, here you go. Uh, but that's kind of what I like. I like you see a need, fill a need, right? Like no one else wants the ball or no one else wants to do whatever. I'll do it. L- give it to me. So I went down, pitched really well, and, uh, and got called up. To, and I, we, two starters went down, Dave Bush and uh, Jeff Supon got hurt. So they called me up and uh, they said, hey, you're not going to start. You're going to be in the bullpen. I was like, well, that sucks. <laughs> I was like, all right, I have no idea what's going on, but sure. So I, uh, yeah, I w- uh, came in like long relief. I didn't do that great. Um, and then, I, I mean, I threw like 60 or 70 pitches in four innings and uh, gave up like four or five runs. It didn't go great. It was a bad game. And then had a day off. We fly to San Diego. And then the next day, I'm in a one-run ball game in the sixth. So I've been used to pitching every five days. You know, you got your bullpen day. And uh, then I, come, I, I throw a complete game in Memphis. And then three days after that, I throw four innings in relief. And then two days after that, I'm in a one-run ball game in the sixth. And I'm just like, I, I, you know, I'm not as good as I could be, right, with more rest or Maybe if I'd been in the bullpen the entire season, but I'm not making excuses. It's just one of those things like if you, you want to put people in position to do their best. And I just didn't feel like looking back, I'm like, man, I don't feel like I was, that was the best position that I could have been in, but it didn't go well. And so I got sent down like the next day. So I got like six days in the big leagues in 09. <laughs> that service time that adds strange. up. Yeah, yeah. Every every little bit helps. And so, every, every yeah, that was, that was a tough one, but I really attacked the starting role. I mean, I had, I think some of the most innings in the entire league made every single start. Um, I don't know. I thought I did really well. Like I, I thought, wow, I'm, I, I've proved now 2008, I can be a big league reliever. And I proved in 2009 that I was a triple a AAA starter or better, you know? And so I didn't know what was going to happen going into the next season. And then uh, they took me off the roster, <laughs> so, but Not they invited idea. me to, yeah, they invited me to big league camp though. So I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> How did you know when it was time to to take a chance on changing that changing your arm angle? Because I will, we can tie my meager college career into this. There was a time <laughs> when I I was told to you know hey, try to make the switch to sidearming, and I think I struggled at it. I didn't succeed at it for two reasons. A big one was just a general lack of talent, but the second one was not mentally committing to it. How did you go about that? Whose idea was that, and how did you adapt to it? Wow, that's a great question and some insight on your career. Thank you. I, hey, um, there's not much else to be had. <laughs> that's about all we got. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, two sentences. Come on. Um, yeah, I. It was. It was strange. I came back to spring training and and they were like, "Hey, we took you off the roster, so you know there must have been a reason for that. It's time to reinvent yourself." And I was thinking, "Oh man, they want me to throw a knuckleball." <laughs> I, was, I may draw Which the line at fun. knuckleball. I don't know. Become oh, a yeah. knuckler. Oh, well, I mean, that'd be challenging. And I did, I was teammates with Ari Dickey in 2007. So I'm sure I could have figured it out. But that's what I thought when they first started talking to me. But they go, no, we want you to see if you can throw sidearm. And, you know, when you, when you work on something for so long, and you may understand this, but when you work on something for so long, and then now it's like, okay, well, now we want you to do something different. It's not, 
you, you start dropping down, you start changing arm angles, you have to change pitches, you have to change philosophies, you have to change, you know, your foundation on, as a pitcher. And so I knew that right in that moment, right when they said that, I'm like, okay, this is going to affect all of this stuff. And it's a big identity change to accept. It is. It is. And I kind of was on the fence, like you were talking about, like you just, you don't really know what you can do or what they're thinking. Um, but the way it came across was like, won't you try this? Or maybe, maybe that's it. Right. <laughs> like maybe. And I was like, uh, you know, I was still on the fence. They said it was going to be your choice. Like, what do I do? Do I sit there and say no? And maybe they keep me, um, you know, in AAA that year, or maybe they, you know, release me and I got to try to find another team. But I had a coach, uh, Stan Kyles. He's, I think, with the Pirates now. I'm not really sure. But he was our bullpen coach in the big leagues for a few years. But he was a AAA, my AAA pitching coach for two years. And he said, he pulled me aside and was like, Dilly, he's like, I know, I know you're kind of ha- you know, apprehensive about this. But he goes, I think this, this is you. He's like, I think this is your personality. Pitchers are already weird. He's like, but you're like a different kind of weird. He goes, like, I think this is you. I think if you attack this, you're going you're gonna to love it. So I said, okay, yeah. And... You know, the, the Brewers didn't really come out and say anything, but they, they gave me a grace period to figure it out, like figure out the sidearm thing. We're not going to release you, go out there and have a bad game. That would, that would be terrible, right? Like, hey, we want you to throw sidearm, and I go have one bad game, and they're like, okay, you're done. So there was a little grace there, and in spring training, um, we were playing, well, again, the A's. We're playing the A's in 2010, and uh, Decker, is it Decker? That big, giant catcher they used to have? Anyway... Uh, we're playing at uh, Phoenix Municipal Stadium, and I, I was just trying. I can't. I couldn't throw very hard, or I didn't try to throw very hard sidearm. I just went for angle. You know, they're thinking Brad Ziegler, like just make it go up in the air and then go straight down. <laughs> you know, right? Eighty miles an hour, just all about movement. And so here I am flipping these little meatballs right down the middle, and this Decker kid hits it like into the zoo that's beyond left field. I mean, it's like the biggest home run I've ever seen. And, and I was, I was so mad. I was so mad. Cause I'd just been getting ripped trying this new delivery. So the next hitter comes up and I'm like, I'm just going to throw as hard as I can. So sidearm, I throw the ball as hard as I can and just absolutely shatter his bat. And I field it, throw it to first and I'm just piping hot, come off the mound. And the pitching coach comes over and was just like, that was amazing. I was like, no, I was like, I think it hit an elephant. We need to check on the zoo animals. <laughs> And he's like, no, no, he's like, that last pitch, he's like, that was like 88 miles an hour. And I was like, yeah. He goes, that's really hard. I was like, dude, I was throwing 96 a couple years ago. Like 88's not hard. He goes, from sidearm, that's hard. He goes, can you throw hard like that every time? I was like, yeah, but you guys wanted me to work on angle. He goes, that's the process of these things. He goes, we want you to be a hard-throwing sidearmer. I was like, all right. So after that, I just kept throwing sidearm. Everything I did was sidearm and that year went to AAA, went to Nashville, and ended up throwing a hundred innings. And I did I did okay throughout the season. And then the last month of the season in August, we were in Reno, and Brandon Kinsler. You know Brandon Kinsler. I think he finished with the was he with the Marlins this year. Yeah, he was with the Twins for a while. Twins and the it, Twins and the Nats. Cubs, Nats. Yeah, he's been with everybody. He's been around. He'd been around. So he was coming off the disabled list, and they were going to have to make a spot, and it was down to me and another guy, and. <laughs> I, we walk into Reno and I'm always early, you know, I'm just an early guy. I'm going to be hard to beat me to the clubhouse. And so I come in and all the coaches are already there and they call me in and just sit there and I'm just like sweating bullets. I was sweating bullets cause it was hot in August in Reno, but I was also sweating because, cause I was nervous. But anyway, finally they broke the silence and were like, listen, you're not being released. I was like, Oh geez, why can't you guys just say that? Like out in front, like just, Hey, you're not getting released. You know, but they made me wait like 30 seconds, but they said, Hey, do you think you can start? I was like, 
I was like, what? They're like, well, we're thinking about, you know, putting this other guy on the phantom disabled list and he's our starter and we got to put Kinsler in the bullpen. So we think if you can fill in as starter, then that, that would work. So I was like, uh, sure. So here I go. I've been working on this sidearm craft, you know, little bits out of the bullpen all season long. And then the last month of the season, I had a real chance to actually work on my stuff in the game, right? Like if you come in for 10 pitches, you're kind of just like, okay, I'm trying to make a pitch and then hopefully I get out of it, right? You, there's really no grace where you can sit there and give up a double, you know, and they'll obviously bring somebody else in if it's a close game. So now here I am starting, I get to work on all my pitches, all my locations and just kind of find my craft and it was awesome. So the last month of the season, I was throwing like seven innings or eight innings, maybe had a complete game and did really well, like shown that I could throw 92 from sidearm. I could get some strikeouts on my curveball. I could get ground balls. And so anyway, the Brewers ended up really liking that. And so they came to me and they said, Hey, we want you to sign back. Cause I was going to be a six year free agent. And so the, all right, maybe I was already a free agent a couple of times, but anyway, <laughs> they wanted to sign me back. So they said, Hey, we want to sign you back and bring you to big league camp. And I said, yeah, let's do it. So you you signed back with the Brewers in, in 2011 and 2012. You get some big league time. You throw pretty well. Uh, and then, you you know, you hit free agency again and end up, you know, signing an indie ball deal for a little bit. Is that <laughs> is that an ego hit or is that something, you know, you were able to enjoy? What What's the outlook on that after being, you know, being in the big leagues the year prior? Yeah, I mean, it was a... It was, you know, a journey. Anybody that plays any kind of baseball has a journey, right? Has a unique story. It never goes the way you think unless you're Mike Trout. I feel like Mike Trout is doing what Mike Trout thought he would do. Yeah, he's like the <laughs> only guy who was playing in his backyard as a kid, and it has worked out exactly, you know, except for the, yeah. you know, playing in October part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, you know, a couple handful of guys on the planet that can say that. So, you, you know, being realistic, it's like, well, maybe it doesn't turn out exactly like you think. And yeah, that was for me. I in, at the end of 2012, I finished in Double A. I had start I'd, the first half of the season. I was in the big leagues and I did pretty well. And then they sent me down, uh, or they took me. Actually, yeah, they took me off the roster, put me in Triple A, and then I didn't pitch. Like I would sit for a week, and then they'd get me up to face like two hitters that were left-handed. <laughs> and I would give up like a home run and a double, and then they, you know, sit me up for another week. And so then they asked, well, if you want to pitch more, can we send you to Double A? And I said, sure. I just want to pitch, right? I got to get better, you know pitch me. So I go to double A and I pitch a little bit and then the season's over. And then they're, they're like, no, we're not going to sign you back. I was like, oh man. And nobody would sign me back. And I couldn't find a job in America. So I went to Mexico, <laughs> had spring training in Mexico. Um, I roundabout well, roundabout way. I still don't know how I got there, but I was contacted and, and, and I said, yeah, I have to go. So I go and I'm in, I end up going to be their closer. I'm throwing really hard. I'm breaking bats. I'm striking people out all spring training. I'm doing really well. And I'm like, okay, well, if I make the team, then I'm, you know, five months away from my family down here in Mexico. <laughs> and if I get fired, then I'm back home and I'm jobless. So I'm like, I don't even know the right, you know, what could happen. What's the best case scenario, but they end up firing me. I got released uh, the last day of spring training because they wanted hitters. They had four hitters. You can only have five foreign players at that time. I think it's still five, maybe even less than that now, but they wanted another hitter. So they got rid of me and they were really sad because I was going to be their closer. I'm like, okay. So I go home, I'm home about two days. And then a team, I looked up an independent ball team in the Atlantic league, the barnstormers, the coach there at the time was uh, Butch Hobson. Butch Hobson played with my dad with the Red Sox. They were both infielders. And so 
I sent an email or called or something and he didn't, he didn't know me, but he was just like, okay, with just with your last name, I'll give you a tryout. So why don't you come? So I drove to Pennsylvania and, uh, ended up making the team and yeah, I was, as far as an ego hit, like I didn't, you hear about independent ball and you don't really know what it looks like. And I know a lot of guys would just refuse to do it, but it comes down to number one, if you can. Like some guys just can't afford it or maybe they have a family. Um, I wouldn't have been able to do it if I hadn't have been in the big leagues the year before and actually made a little bit of money to the point where in 2013 and in 14, I basically played for free. So if it wasn't for 2012, um, I probably wouldn't have gone to indie ball. But um, yeah, it's, it's about how bad you want to play. And there's no egos there, right? Everyone's there just to do the best they can, hope, hoping that somebody picks them up and the Brewers ended up picking me up and stuck me in AAA. So <laughs> I got, to, I live in Nashville. So I just got to drive, you know, 20 minutes to the field every day. And it was great. It was, can't make this stuff up. Well, that starts this long. I mean, you, you'd already been with the Brewers for a long time, <laughs> but this long, like you guys just could not quit each other for most of this past decade. How did you become this go-to veteran clubhouse guy who's continuing to pitch in his 30s between Nashville and then those years in Colorado Springs. What, every year when they sign you, what are you, you know, in your mind, what are you bringing to the organization? But also, what are, what are they doing for you? Yeah. You want to know my, sell, my sales pitch to them. Yeah. When you, when you go in the border oh, and yeah. you sell yourself to the brewers, what's, oh, yeah. what's on the table? Oh, yeah. I tell them. I, and, I, and I say, here's all the ways I'm going to help you. And you don't know it yet because it happened twice. In 2000. You know, they said, we don't need you in 2013. So I left for a month, you know, to go play in Mexico and indie ball. And then they're like, oh, well, let's pick you back up. So they picked me back up for four months. And at the end of that season, they were like, no, no, we don't, we're not going to sign you back. So I went back to independent ball the next year in 2014. But after a month, they're like, oh, no, 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 we need you back. So they, they picked me back up. And so at the end of 14, I was like, listen, don't do that anymore. I was like, Frank, our medical coordinator for the Brewers, I said, he's having a hard time having to refill out all these <laughs> forms <laughs> from me going, you know, leaving and then coming back. Frank's got a carpal like, tunnel now. Yeah. I was like, let's, let's, we all love Frank. Like, let's just keep him, you know, happy. And then you guys just sign me back. And I actually, let's see, at the off season, let's see, I finished 14, signed back. Yeah. Went to 15. Yep. So I told him, I said, listen, I, I stay healthy. I'm going to pitch whenever you want me to pitch. I was like, because you're not going to abuse all of these guys. They were going to Colorado Springs. And I said, you better have an army going there. You better have a ton of people because that's where people get hurt. People get hurt there and they don't know what to do. Like, we got to get a pitcher here. I was like, you're going to be flying guys all over the country. I was like, let me be that guy in whatever capacity. And I said, number two, I'm not going to be one of these six-year free agent guys, an older guy that's only out for himself. I was like, I know these guys, these young guys. I want to help them. You know, I know I'm competing against them, but it doesn't mean I'm going to be mean to them. I'm going to try to help them. You know, I learned the way I pitch and, and how I look at baseball. I learned from other guys, other teammates. I saw what they did. I talked to them. That's how people learn. I was like, I want to be that influence. I was like, you guys know me. I'm not going to, you know, be a jerk. I'm not going to negatively influence them in that way. I can help. And, uh, and I was like, I'm going to stay healthy. I was like, that's a winning combination. And if you guys need somebody in the big leagues, I probably could do that too. <laughs> and they said, okay, we'll give you free coffee at all of our affiliates. And, oh, that's uh, huge. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is right. And, uh, and then we're also, we'll give you insurance, health insurance. So I was like, perfect. There we go. So that's pretty much the conversation that happened for the following, I don't know how many years after that. So yeah, so you get kind of noted as being this, this clubhouse mentor, 
Um, you know, besides just general experience, what actually, what goes into being a good clubhouse guy? How does one go about that? You had mentioned that, you know, you learn from guys. There's someone specific that you were, you had met when you were younger that like, I need to be like this guy. I don't know if I could put my finger on one person per se, but I mean, just growing up in the clubhouse as a kid, it was just a magical place. Like it's just so much fun. Because when I was in the you know clubhouse when my dad was coaching teams, this is in the early '90s and you know late '80s, early '90s, and you know it's way different than it is now, right? So now you have a clubhouse where everybody has a phone. If the clubhouse is big enough and there's enough TVs, people have Xboxes or Playstations. Like there's all this stuff going on digitally, and I don't know. I kind of grew up in the old school of of you interact, right? So I played cards for ten years. I played cribbage or board games or whatever we had. Um, but the game has changed in that way. So nobody kind of does that anymore. There's still cards every once in a while. You'll see it maybe checkers or chess, but for the most part, everyone kind of gets on their phone. And so I just had this mentality of like, no, it's interacting. The clubhouse is fun when you're all doing stuff together. Right. And that's kind of what I started to do in 2015 of making these clubhouse videos where, you know, I get guys, you know, my locker mates to, you know, act in a video, you know, Hey, what movie do you like? Oh, I like happy Gilmore. Perfect. Let's shoot a happy Gilmore video. And it kind of just stemmed from there of just let's all come together and, you know, do something that basically, right, just distracts you from how hard baseball is. That's what all that stuff is. Anything that I saw growing up when it came to the clubhouse, it was all about distracting from what goes on in the field because that's hard and that's stressful. That breeds anxiety. So how do you do that? You got to occupy your mind during those downtimes, right? You have batting practice at two o'clock. You don't have a game till seven. You know, you got two or three hours in there at home if you're at the, the home team that you got to kill. So what's that look like? You know, do you just sit there and get in your shell, get on your phone, stress about the game? No, you got to relieve that stress. So anyway, that was kind of what, <laughs> that was the beginning of it, I guess, of making all these videos. <laughs> well, just like you, you just said, baseball is hard. Minor league baseball is a tough life. You are away from your family for a long time. You're, you know, playing in different cities. You're not usually, you're not at home much. Mm. What, what keeps you every year getting physically up to that point because you know the the lifestyle and everything that doesn't even take into account the the physical toll it takes to throw all these innings that you've been throwing every year what keeps you showing up to spring training every year oh yeah paycheck health insurance no (laughs) that's the short answer no um it it, you know my body has just been doing it so long i feel like my body's like oh you're playing baseball again shocker you know like i'm kind of just broken that way um, but here's what you probably don't know. Maybe you do know you've interviewed a lot of guys, um, but you'd be surprised how many people quit every year. I don't think people understand outside of baseball, understand how many people decide that this is not a life that they thought it was going to be right. You, you want to play in the big leagues, but you got, you, you're not. So you're in the minor leagues and you don't, you don't like going to the cities. You don't like the grind of going out there and failing and how to deal with that. You, you people don't know how to wait, you know, be away from their families. And it's also, you don't make any money. So guys have to quit just because of finances. So there's all these different things that come into it. And if you get kind of past some of that stuff, it's still going, okay, I am here. How do I perform? You know, and it's a mental grind. It's a mental strain. So for me, anytime I'm looking inward at myself, I I know that because I am stressing about what happens. I'm stressing about okay, well, if I do bad right here, oh, if I do good right here, this could happen. You know, all this kind of stuff. So you have to have that distraction and that's, that's what I provide. And it's always outward. If you're looking inward, it's just going to hurt, you know? And so it's all about looking outward. And so my teammates are there. It's all about pouring into them. 
you want to take away the stresses of what your job is, pour into your coworkers, see what they're what you know, get to know them, help them, you know, whether it's building a sandcastle or, you know, making a video, that's what you're doing. You're putting Legos together, right? You're building something, you're sharing an experience and that's what it is. It's about each other. And when you look at it that way, all that, you know, that hard part of baseball gets way easier. And so I can, you know, just my, you know, taking my own heartbeat, my own diagnosis, you know, when it's, when things are really stressful for me and hard, it's because I'm looking too much inward at myself. I've got a few more things for you. I know we're running short on time, but I've got some stuff I just got to hear about. Uh, you are one of the, the few people, you know, this year, minor league baseball season was canceled. That did not stop you. What is your, your main <laughs> takeaway from your time as a member of the Milwaukee Milkmen? Yeah. Yeah. There was a, a guy uh, from the Brewers that actually signed a contract because this is the first time ever where with minor league baseball being canceled, that major league baseball came out and said that guys were allowed to play independent ball if they, if they were, if they chose to, right. If a team was going to sign them, they weren't going to stop them. And those contracts had never been drawn before. So mine was, as far as I know, mine was the second in history behind this, this other guy. And, um, you know, the Rangers, I was with the Rangers and they had nowhere for me to play. So I asked if I could play for the Milwaukee Milkmen and they said, okay. So they had to go and figure out like, what's the language look like with insurance and what if I get hurt or, you know, all this kind of stuff. And anyway, it, it was actually a very hard thing to do. They came back and they would send something and I have to sign it and then send it back and do all this stuff. And, but yeah, like, I don't know, making history when everything shut down, like it was already, I, I told the guys when I showed up, I'm like, you guys are making history. They had fans there actually too. One of like five places on planet earth that actually you could watch professional baseball being played. Uh, and I just told them every day, I was like, dude, we're making history. So that's for me, my takeaway is I, who knew, I didn't think my season was going to go that way at all. <laughs> if you would have told me that I'd be playing independent ball on an all turf field in Franklin, Wisconsin, I would have said that sounds preposterous, but that's where you're at and you have to make adjustments, right? I mean, that's what baseball is in general. So for me, I was very disappointed that the minor league season was canceled as I'm sure thousands of people are, millions of people are, um, but just the idea of having the opportunity to go to a new place and, and meet new people and get to know new people and have new experiences, that was, that was really awesome. I mean, it's, that's what it's about, right? Experiences. Well, and in, in these quote-unquote uncertain times, this is probably a, a tough question to answer, but mm. what is next for Tim Dillard? You're, you're 37 years old, if I have it correctly? <laughs> Uh, I mean, unless you're a scout, you if you're a scout, then it's 27. Yeah, you're, you're, 20, you're, yeah, you're <laughs> yeah, 27. Yeah, yeah. Just, just saw you on the bump at 96 the other day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. What is, you know, are you still planning on throwing innings somewhere in 2021? Man, I hope so. I hope so. I, you know, I, I don't really know. The, as far as I've gotten is this podcast, right? Like you, <laughs> you reached out and said, hey, you want to be on my podcast? Sure. Uh, but this is about as far as I've gotten. I don't really know what to do. I don't know what's going to come up. Hopefully somebody calls me, but I... I mean, I'm still technically an, a ranger. You, you know, the free agents come up five days after the World Series is over. And um, I'm hoping to talk to the GM, say, hey, man, what we got? But baseball, the climate of minor league baseball has changed across the board. You know, they're going to be getting rid of teams. They're going to be getting rid of, you know, the number of players they can have in the, in the lower level organizations. I mean, it's just, it's going to go younger. I may just be aged out, you know, with this pandemic. I may have just aged out. I don't know. I don't know, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about it in that way. I'm just going to keep doing the next thing. That's kind of why the podcast came about that. I started making them just came out of quarantine. Like I just had to do something, you know, I think when people 
get this idea of like what to do next. They have to sit there and ponder what they're going to do next. And I don't have to ponder. I'm just going to start doing whatever I can. And um, hopefully it'll lead to something, but I don't know. I'd love to play. I'd love to play. I feel healthy. I feel good. And you know, if there's a spot for me, I'm going to take it. You know, that one of the things that I always tell the young guys is, you know, act like you want to be there. I tell my own kids that I said, if you go somewhere, just act like you want to be there. You know, maybe sometimes you don't, <laughs> you know, because wherever you're at, you don't really want to be there, but that's, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to let people know you want to be there. So when a guy's being negative in the bullpen, I'm like, you don't have to be here, dude. Like go somewhere else. Right. Like, you don't have to be negative about it. Like just enjoy where you're at. So for me, I'm really trying to just enjoy the moment of where I'm at. And so if I have the opportunity to be somewhere, hopefully I'm portray that to coaches and staff of going, listen, I like being here. I like having a job. I like being the guy that, Hey, when no one else wants the baseball, I like being that guy. I will take the baseball. You know, you, you don't know if you'll need me or not, but once it, once I'm not there, and something happens, like you're going to wish I was there. So that's kind of my pitch again <laughs> that I've been making for, you know, 10 years or so. Like, let me do it. If nobody else wants to do it, if nobody else wants to be here, or nobody else wants to willing to take the baseball, I will do it. Kind of in that same vein of talking to younger guys, if you could go back, talk to yourself right as you sign out of junior college, what's that conversation like? What's the advice you give 19 year old Tim Dillard? Uh, 19 year old Tim Dillard, stop eating uh, McGriddles. <laughs> <laughs> 2004 was a tough year. The McGriddle came out, and I I got up to like 265. It Oof. still hits too. It still hits. It's still really good. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> McGriddle no, is a awful. fine meal. I will I yeah. will vouch for that. Yeah, okay. 2,000 calories in one bite. Yeah, it. Uh, no, I I don't know. I would tell them. I would tell them just I don't know, be be athletic. It, it would it would be like the physical side of it. I would just say be athletic because you don't know what's going to happen, right? I showed up to the Milwaukee Milkmen two months ago, and my contract, I, I got there and I wasn't allowed to play yet. Like they couldn't activate me on the roster yet. And so I got there and I realized they only had one catcher. One of their catchers had broken their foot. So they had one catcher for the game. So I was like, Hey man, I can catch. So they gave me catching gear and I caught people in the bullpen that game. Right. So there's a certain level of, you don't know what's going to happen. You just need to be ready. It's not being paranoid in a bad way. It's being paranoid in a good way. Ooh, you show up to the field. What, what do I get to do today? You know, you want to, you want to be the guy that doesn't mind going out there in early BP and picking up the baseballs for the hitters. That's, I love doing that. I get, I get some exercise. I pick up the baseballs and put them in the bucket and all the hitters are like, Oh, thanks man. I'm like, yeah, no problem. I just want you to save your energy because I want you to go diving for a ball for me tonight. Right. <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't want you out here picking up all these balls. I was like, I want you guys to save your energy, man, for me when I'm out there. That's awesome. So I don't know. You, there were so many years I felt like I didn't get a chance to enjoy the moment. I was looking too far ahead. Oh, if I could just get to the big leagues or I was looking too far back. Oh man, if the coach would have done this or if that other team hadn't done this, you know, you, so I'm always too far ahead or too far behind. So I would probably tell my younger self, worry about what's going on right now. Like in this moment, enjoy the moment with the people that you're with and have fun. I've got a quick rapid fire for you, and then we, I will let you enjoy your life outside of this podcast. <laughs> I have nothing planned, so yeah. <laughs> favorite and least favorite minor league ballparks? Uh, least favorite is going to be Clinton, Iowa, and favorite is, I mean, i got to say Nashville. The Nashville Sounds Park is amazing. Clinton, Iowa, that is the site of the dog food plant. 
Do I have yeah. that correct? Yeah, and they also have an incinerator plant for roadkill. So, you know, that's an interesting combination in the uh, atmosphere. That is a running theme on this podcast series. I think mm. you're I think you are episode 17. I think that makes at least five guys who have mentioned that ballpark and that smelling Clinton. <laughs> uh, best hitter you ever faced? Best hitter I ever faced? Ah, oh, man. I mean, I make all the hitters look good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I would say um, um, Yadier Molina. I mean, he he really. I, he, I felt like he went four for three off me um, in in his career, which is pretty incredible. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I faced a lot of good hitters. I got some of them out, some of them I didn't. But I mean, I can't really pinpoint just one. Worst minor league road trip. I mean, it depends. If you're on the lower levels, you're bussing everywhere. But AAA, I've been mainly in AAA for the last how many years? So we fly everywhere. Worst trip on a bus, man. Um, we used to bus down to Jacksonville, Florida, from Huntsville, Alabama. That's like ten or twelve hours. That's a tough one. Uh, pretty much any bus trip, any bus trip's tough. Best food city in MLB or MILB? Hmm. Best food city. I've got to ask this one to everyone now. I'm a big food guy. I mean, back in the day, it was you know you'd go to Cali, you would have um, In and Out Burger, but now it's kind of you know In and Out Burger's creeping across Texas right now. That's how far it's gotten. Um, I don't know. I would say, I would say maybe for AAA uh, Des Moines, Iowa. Actually, <laughs> it uh, they have some good food spots uh, right there, close to the field. All of them walking distance. I love going there. They have a place called Zombie Burger. Um, I try to bring it up in my podcast at least once a once an episode <laughs> in some capacity, but it's so good. Like it's just on another planet, and it's the only one in existence. I wish they would open up more as a chain, but. Anyway, but I have met the owner and the uh, head cook. And so every time I'm there, I get to talk to these people. And it's like a zombie theme and they got movies playing and they got great food and great booze and great shakes. And I don't know. It's a good, good, good spot. I will put that on my list if I can ever make it to <laughs> there Des Moines. You go. Uh, Tim, thanks so much for joining from Fiend Honor the Farm. Tell the folks again where they can find your podcast. Yeah, uh, you can find it on pretty much anything that streams a podcast. It's called The Inner Monologue of Dim Tillard. Uh, come and check it out. And oh, especially, you know, after you listen to this podcast, obviously go and check that out. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone go check <laughs> yeah. it out. Tim, thanks yeah. so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Of course. And that's it for our episode with Tim Dillard. Again, a big thanks to Tim for taking the time. If you enjoyed that, go check out his YouTube channel and then make sure to subscribe to From Phenom to the Farm for episodes coming at you every two weeks. In two weeks, we are talking to former big league pitcher, current Eastern Michigan University pitching coach, AJ Ochter. Also make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA podcast feed for everything in amateur and prospect news. And with that, we'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening.